What's up, everyone? Welcome to Stick to Football. I'm your host, Connor Rogers. Once again, no Matt this week. He's still on a much-deserved vacation, but Mello's riding with me, and we got a fun show today. We are celebrating a little bit of leftovers on Mother's Day here. Of course, we're going to give you a good story about Matt while he's gone. We're going to basically go down every single position group and tell you which rookies will outperform their draft position from this year's draft and we are going to do another loaded draft on draft show. Mello, how we doing, man? Doing pretty good. The weather is actually turning out to be pretty nice here in Missouri for once. We've <laughs> Can't been say the same. <laughs> drowning in rain. It seems like it's either been cold or it's been hot and rainy. So today is actually pretty nice uh, sitting here on Mother's Day, getting to celebrate with my mom this weekend. That was a nice little touch. Wow, so you're the good son that's actually celebrating with mom. That didn't run off to Colorado on yeah, Mother's Day weekend. Yeah, what the fuck? Yeah. What a savage. And he always wonders wow. why I'm the favorite. It's because I, I don't he, go he on vacation. He complains about that a lot, actually. <laughs> he does. He does. He's very vocal about it, but at least he's accepted it now. Oh, man. So happy, you know, happy belated Mother's Day to all the moms out there, whether you're a mom that listens to this show uh, willingly or a mom that listens to this show because your husband just plays it out loud. But we appreciate <laughs> all of you. And uh, once again, we're going to have some fun on this show because we've been behind on your draft on drafts. But before we get to all of the good stuff, Mello has a little Matt Miller story here to share while he's on vacation. Yes, we wanted to share some Matt stories uh, that were kind of embarrassing for him, but nothing too bad because I, I think I know all the deep, dark secrets of Matt's life, and Connor, I'm sure you know most of them as well. Unfortunately. Yeah, the, <laughs> the one that I did want to share, though, uh, was our LSU tailgate experience. The LSU tailgate was far and away the best one that I think we had this past year. But going to the tailgate, we arrived super early in the morning, and we started off pretty strong with the drinks. By the time the game rolled around, it's, I don't think it's any secret, we were a little bit inebriated at the moment. And it got hot down in Baton Rouge and LSU, so we did not hang out for the entire game. We went to leave, which was not a big deal. We wanted to go check out the bar scene and kind of see what all the other fans were doing that didn't get into the game. So we decided... Matt, um, I believe it was Austin and I, we decided we were going to go check out the bars. But Matt got a little hungry on the way out of the stadium. So we get all the way out of the stadium, and this dude decides that he's hungry and he's going back in. He's got his ticket. He's going to go back in for food. I'm trying to tell Matt, you can't do that. Once they scan your ticket, you're done for, man. You you can't just go back in. It's That's not, not 1990. The they don't let that just like look at the paper and let you back in anymore. It's yeah. actually electronic. Right? He did not understand that. So he goes. I let him go. I did not go with him. I did not want to have to go through the embarrassment of watching someone scan my ticket and tell me no. So he gets up there. He's like, watch this. Goes to scan his ticket, and the old man looks at him just like, what the hell are you doing, man? You know you can't get back in here to get your food. And everybody tried to tell him, but he still you know, tried to do his own thing there at LSU. Oh, God. What a shit show that was, too. And I remember... The reason I'm not in that story is because I completely lost you guys, and <laughs> I was in the stadium and could see you guys in your section from where I was, and you guys just never came back from a break at one point until I got an Instagram Live notification that at NFL Draft Scout was live, and he's on the back of a golf cart. I don't even know if he's answering questions. Probably not. I think he was just staring into the phone. And I commented, like, waving hands, and he goes, oh, hey, Connor, and he just keeps it going. So I actually didn't see you guys after the tailgate for the rest of the Baton Rouge trip. Yeah, that's crazy. That was it. 
<laughs> yeah, we were at the tailgate together. We ate together. We went into the stadium, and I never saw you guys again. So good times, uh, a lot of good times. So we, we can't wait to announce the second season in the tailgate tour. That was a little teaser for you guys. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to make a lot of trips this year, and uh, we'll have that out to you soon because I know everybody wants to make travel plans if they're not already at the school. So that will be out soon. One more thing before we, you know, take our first break, before we do the rookies that will outperform their draft position. Mello, you keep getting asked, all of us keep getting asked, about a dark horse quarterback in this upcoming class. I guess it's already that time. We're in May and we're getting dark horse quarterback questions for 2020. Jordan Love. And I know you finally got to watch a couple games, get a read on him. Give the people the breakdown of what they've been clamoring for for quite some time now with Jordan Love. So I, I got to humble brag myself first. I have a, a big board of almost 180 players, and I'm very proud of it. I did a lot of work on it. I thought I had a good watch list going into next season. And then everyone on Twitter kept asking Until. us about Jordan Love. And honestly, I was like, who the hell is Jordan Love? Why do I need to watch him? I don't know who he is. So I Googled him, you know, Utah State quarterback. He was a sophomore last year. It's like, all right, whatever. People keep asking, though. So I finally broke down some of the games of Jordan Love, who is, you know, a six foot four, two twenty quarterback in a very quarterback friendly offense, and I know a lot of people love him. I did not. I did not like what I had to see out of Jordan Love. I I really questioned a lot of things going on with his game. He does look like maybe he has some potential to grow and be a good quarterback, but to me he looks like a guy that is gonna not be in the twenty twenty class, but maybe the twenty twenty one class. I just I question the arm strength there in that offense. I question a lot of the decision makings. He throws a lot into double coverage and throws the ball up into coverage where there's really not even an open receiver. So I, I wanna see what he goes and he does his junior year. Because players can grow a lot from that sophomore to junior season. But based off what I've seen so far, I, I don't understand why everybody's asking about him. Uh, I'm kind of on my own side here why he wasn't on my watch list. But I just I wasn't pleased. He's, he's a little bit athletic, but he also had a very good coach there in Wells who is has moved on to Texas Tech. And that offense, I mean, there's a reason why you get hired at Texas Tech, and it's because you're an offensive coach. He left, he goes to Texas Tech, and they replaced him with a defensive guy from Utah. So I don't know how that's going to help him uh, transition into his junior year and progress more. So far, I don't know that he's a dark horse for 2020. I think maybe he's a guy that we look at for 2021. I just I did not love the tape that I saw coming from Jordan Love. It'll be interesting with him because you look at him, he was a redshirt player, so this will be his fourth season even though he's a junior, and obviously he can stay all five if he needs to. We've seen a lot of quarterbacks make great jumps at the Senior Bowl. I think that's a you know, an event and an all-star week that kind of helps the quarterbacks the most, if anything. You look at Will Greer, it seemed like he was drafted higher than we expected. Obviously, Drew Locke going to a really good landing spot with the Broncos. John Elway was watching him that entire week. So it'll be interesting to watch Jordan Love this year. He's another one of those quarterbacks. But we've been talking so much, and we'll continue to do so, about Tua Tonga-Vailoa, obviously Fromm, Eason, uh, just uh, Herbert, obviously. So uh, we go down the list. We want to get him in that group because uh, we're loyal to the listeners, and they have been asking over and over again about this guy. So he <laughs> will definitely be on the watch list. If you flood our mentions, we you, will eventually get around to it. Your wishes will be granted. That's what we do here on Stick to Football, and that's why we're going to go through a ton of these rookies that we think were overlooked in the draft right after this break. We are back here on Stick to Football. We are matless, but the show goes on. 
Matless. I love that. <laughs> we are going to preview the rookies that we think will outplay their draft position because, Connor, we see this happen every year. Uh, guys slide in the draft or guys go a little bit unknown and they outplay where they were drafted. So we are going to break down each position group, running back, quarterback, receiver, tight end, offensive line to start off. And then we're also going to dip into the defense here. But let's get it started with the most important position on the field. That's the quarterback position. Which quarterback for you do you think is going to outplay where they were drafted? So ironically, I went with a guy that didn't get drafted at all. And I know, I don't even know if we were allowed to do this during this segment. I feel like you and I just kind of do whatever we want on this show. Like exactly. when we didn't, have Ezekiel, <laughs> we didn't have Ezekiel Elliott and the, the players under 25. Sorry, Cowboys fans. Yeah, I'm sorry that we didn't pick a guy that looks like he's 30 years old. Right? Who knew that he was under 25? I got a couple of messages from Vikings fans. They're like, how did you leave out to Neil Hunter? And I was like, yep. I'm going to be honest with you. I, I just forgot. Like, there's no lying here. I think Danielle Hunter easily deserved to be on the list. And then the Jamal <laughs> Adams complaints. I was like, well, we're doing a challenge. It was a no Jets show. This one will not. And speaking of that division, Tyree Jackson going to back up Josh Allen. Man, for an undrafted player, he's kind of in the driver's seat right now. When you look at controlling you know, his role here, I think he can win that backup job in Buffalo. He's got to get a little more accurate. There's no doubt about that. He's a developmental guy that should not be on the field anytime soon. But I know Bean has come out and said they plan to carry three quarterbacks. If Tyree shows any of those flashes that he did in college and you find a quarterback that can be your long-term number two as an undrafted player, that's really impressive. So I loved this fit. I loved this signing. He's obviously been in the area for a while. He already has a relationship with Josh Allen there. He told me on Sick to Football. So Tyree Jackson was the guy I was going with out of the quarterbacks. Yeah, and I think we were all really surprised to see him fall in the draft and go undrafted. But I do like where he landed with Buffalo. And if they are going to carry three quarterbacks, I think he will definitely be one of them. Uh, sticking with that that quarterback position, I went with Drew Locke, uh, Missouri local guy here. I love his fit and where he got drafted. With the Denver Broncos, I think he's coming into a situation where he's going to be able to sit for a little bit and learn behind Flacco before he eventually takes over that starting role. He was the number 42 overall pick in the draft, and people had had him rumored as high as number 6 overall. I like his traits. He didn't always put it together on the field, but I think that he has the skill set to at least... You know, come in and perform at a high level. I don't know if it'll ever be Pro Bowl or All Pro or anything like that, but I think if he sits and he can work with the the team that they have in Denver, he's going to be a very successful quarterback in the NFL. And they were able to get him in the second round, so I, I'm going with Drew Locke for my pick. And I think it was cool to see how excited he was when he got the call to go there. I think that was where he wanted to be. I think he's a player that understands he needed to probably sit for a year and learn behind Joe Flacco, who despite what you hear, was really good in that locker room with Lamar Jackson. So uh, I'm with you all the way. I think when you look at, I would rather have Drew Locke in the second round than not just to keep harping on this, but then Daniel Jones at the top 10. I think I, yep. I saw round one traits with Locke. That's what matters to me. Moving on to running back here, I went with Justice Hill on the Ravens. He was a fourth round pick. And I think he'll easily surpass the expectations of a fourth-round pick at running back. I know that they signed Ingram to really be the workhorse of that backfield. But Hill is a player that can be your third-down back kind of guy and an explosive one at that. He makes players miss in the open field time and time again. Really explosive, really shifty. I think he had a great combine. He not only got his weight up and got his strength up, 
but he tested really, really well and shows he also has that straight line speed. So there was a lot of running backs taken in this draft, 25 in total, and Hill was kind of, he was the ninth one off the board. But at the end of the day, I mean, he went after Bryce Love, who might not even play this year. I love what Justice Hill can bring to that Baltimore offense. Yeah, I do, too. And friend of the program, too, Matt and I were able to interview him. I like his pairing great. with Ingram because uh, somebody has to take away some of those carries. I'm going to go with, and I snuck this one in there. I beat you to the punch here. but Yes, you just, it's okay. <laughs> David Montgomery has been both of our, our guy here. I really like his fit with the Chicago Bears. I don't know if there's a more perfect pick in this draft at any position than David Montgomery to the Bears. I know they have Tariq Cohen, but Tariq Cohen has only carried the ball uh, 99 times last year and 87 in his rookie year. He is not going to take a lot of carries. That's why they're bringing in David Montgomery, the running back from Iowa State. I really like his game. I think he's a complete running back. They found him in the third round. He won't go that low, and I don't think a lot of fantasy drafts. I think he's going to be one of the top running backs. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. He's going to carry it probably 18 to 20 times a game. He's going to be that true number one running back for at least the next five years, I think. I think the Bears are going to really run that offense through him and with Mitch Trubisky. He can be a weapon, like I said, catching the ball. His contact balance, he's a big guy, about 230. He can take a hit and then just keep going. He's very shifty, uh, good hips, good feet. I love David Montgomery. That's why I had him as my number one running back. So I have to give him some shout-outs here as the uh, running back that's going to overplay his draft stock. Mello did me the favor of making the rundown today, so he easily gets to put David Montgomery in this spot. And they moved up 14 <laughs> spots to get him. So a team that didn't really have any draft capital, they went up and got a player that they feel can be really their primary back. I love all the things that they do in this offense with Tariq Cohen to be creative, to find ways for him to succeed as a pass catcher. But I'm with you all the way. I, I think the rock is David Montgomery's in this offense And for a team that takes away the ball on defense or at least makes stops over and over again, they're going to want to run the football and control the clock in this offense. And I think Montgomery is going to get a ton of carries. So you get a player like that at 73 overall, I would not be shocked to see him finish in the top 10 overall in rushing yards this year. I love it. Moving on to wide receiver, I'm, I'm sure you guys will not be surprised with either of our picks here. I went with Kelvin Harmon, one of the most bizarre draft day slides, and one of those ones where you ask a lot of people after, why did this guy fall? And their answer was, well, we didn't really think he was that good. It wasn't like, oh, he has off-field incidents that didn't get out. Oh, he has bad medical that didn't get out. Like, none of that. Teams just didn't value him, I guess the way I did, I would say. He was a sixth-round pick, 206th overall. He was the 24th wide receiver taken in this class. And here's what's hilarious, Mello. You Google Redskins are lads, and you look at their roster, he can start this year. Like, easily. Mm. Yeah. Easily. Josh Jackson is never healthy. Paul Richardson is rarely healthy. Terry McLaurin is going to start for them by default, which I do like. After that, not much. So I look at Kelvin Harmon, and you got to realize, the expectations for a six-round pick... Or maybe you make the team, maybe you help out on special teams, 
no, I think this guy's going to get legitimate targets this year in that offense. Yeah, and I think he can play on the outside, too. And you put McLaren in the slot, you have two young receivers to go with your young quarterback. So hopefully they can build some rapport there and start working together because they do have a lot of talent on that team. And no surprise here for me, I'm going Deontay Johnson, the receiver out of Toledo. I've talked a lot about him. I did not expect him to go in the third round. But I'm going to say that he is going to overplay his draft value here because he's with the Steelers. And that's a great fit for what he can do. And we know how well the Steelers can develop that receiver talent. They still have Juju Smith-Schuster, and I think he's going to catch most of the balls. Obviously, he's going to be the number one target. They have James Washington, too, and Eli Rogers. But I think Deontay Johnson can come in. He can steal some catches in that formation, You know, maybe if they go four receivers wide. But he can also contribute on special teams right away. I think he is probably the favorite right now to be the punt returner and kick returner in that team. An offensive weapon that can take jet sweeps. He's so much more than just a gadget player though. I think he's going to develop and we're going to be looking back at the Steelers draft and say why the hell did Deontay Johnson fall to the third round? And it's because he's an undersized receiver from Toledo who didn't run a blazing fast 40. But he does have it on the field. So I'm going Deontay Johnson, the 66th pick in last year's draft some guys just have different speed and pads and that was Deontay Johnson and the Steelers love players like that they always will get those wide receivers that'll stretch the field vertically challenge the defense vertically and with how good Juju has been I think this is an offense where Deontay Johnson is going to be given opportunities in one-on-ones to win down the field so we always talk about how good they are at drafting, but more importantly, developing wide receivers. He could be the next in line. At tight end, I'm going with Kahale Waring. I saw a sky-high potential for him, and I think you could take those tight ends in round two. For example, Irv Smith Jr. went in round two. Uh, Josh Oliver went at the top of round three. You look at Kahale Waring, uh, Waring he went, I mean, the 86th pick in this draft, and he, he hasn't been playing football very long. He's improving over and over again as a blocker, something Jay Sternberger has struggled to do who got drafted before him. And I know Sternberger's been a more productive pass catcher, but when you look at, you know, Waring in this offense with the Texans, Deshaun Watson's going to get outside the pocket and make plays, and Waring's the type of player that can come back to the ball, work himself open. So he's a developmental guy, make no mistake about it. But for a late third-round pick, it would not shock me to see him develop into a complete tight end and a starting tight end. I think the interesting thing with him is how late his stock started to rise. It's like people finally started to come around on him and his development process, what he's able to do, what he's going to project as. I really like your pick there. I'm actually going to go Jay Sternberger, the tight end out of Texas A&M. And again, it's not even so much about the prospect here as it is the fit. He gets to pair up with Aaron Rodgers, who everybody this year coming in is going to be talking about other quarterbacks and how they're better than Aaron Rodgers. I think he's going to come in pissed off. I think Jay Sternberger has a chance behind guys like Jimmy Graham and Mercedes Lewis. He's going to learn, he's going to develop, and then he's going to turn into a big target. Rodgers has always liked throwing to tight ends, but he hasn't had the athletic young tight end like Jay Sternberger. So I want to see what he can do with Aaron Rodgers and this offense because I think that they're going to come out and the Packers are going to start off hot. And then once they really get rolling, I think we're going to see a guy like Jay Sternberger start to take some of those catches, even though he was the third round pick, you know, number 75 overall. I think he's got a chance to get on the field early on in the season and take away a lot of touches and playtime from Jimmy Graham and Mercedes Lewis. 
there's going to be a lot of opportunities for him. And if they recognize that his biggest strength is as a mismatch pass catching guy, not don't play him in line. Don't ask him to block. It's just a waste of time. Yep. If you use him as a move tight end, he's a really effective player. And I'm with you, too. I think Rodgers is going to come out on fire this season. And by default, somebody besides Devontae Adams has to get targets. And that's where Sternberger comes into play. Moving on to the offensive line here. Cody Ford, I just I don't get the slide, and more importantly, I don't get the players taking over. I mean, Greg Little got drafted before yeah. him. Now, I understand teams are going to value Greg Little's athleticism as a tackle, and some teams might have evaluated Cody Ford strictly as a guard. I do think he could play right tackle. I think he could be a phenomenal guard. I think. I mean, if you watch the Buffalo Bills, you know, war room feature for, that they tweeted out or that they put on their website with their front office. They were praying he would fall, and he did. He kept falling over and over again. So he's a plug-and-play starter for me, a second-round pick when he should have been a first-round pick. This is like the no-brainer whole outplay this spot. And I like your pick, too, here. Yeah, I'm going with Connor McGovern, and again, I'm going with fit because the Dallas Cowboys, they might need somebody to come in and play center because Travis Frederick and his health, I just I don't know if he's going to get on the field. I don't know how much he's going to be able to stay on the field. So they drafted Connor McGovern in the third round. I really like him, and I really like the guards that are going to play next to him. You have Connor Williams that can come help you out, and you have Zach Martin. So if he does end up playing center, he has two very good guards on either side of him. I really like him, and I think if the Cowboys are valuing him in the third round, they must have seen something special because they have five pretty damn good linemen, and they decided to go with Connor McGovern in the third round, so they must really like him. I think he can come in, even if uh, you know Travis Frederick is healthy, then you can still play him at guard. You can play him at center. He's going to get on the field, and he's going to take away some reps. I think he's going to outplay play that third-round pick. This is the perfect example of just a team getting ahead. They look at all the guys they have to pay, and simply somebody is not going to be able to get a contract extension from them. And I think they're looking at their offensive line. They know they'll probably lose Lyle Collins or some kind of piece, and now they have insurance in McGovern that could be, like you said, just a great fit with the team. I mean, if somebody gets hurt again, he could step in and play this year. A great run blocker. He'll clean up his pass protection there in that offense. So, It's really just a match made in heaven. All right, we're going to take a break, and then we'll break down all the defensive guys that we chose. Moving on to the defensive side of the ball here, edge, pass rusher, and a couple good ones this year fell down the board. That usually doesn't happen, but for my guy, Ja'Kai Polite, when you have the kind of combine that he did, you're simply going to fall. I still think the talent is on the field with him. I like that Adam Gase came out, and a coach that's been rumored to have some friction with players at time. Adam Gase came out and went to bat for this guy right away. He said, we don't care about the pass. He's getting a fresh start here. He's coming in ready to work. So, Ja'Kai Polite, it, this goes back to something that Melo was preaching a lot with the offensive guys. It's a landing spot thing. When you're playing next to Quinn Williams and Leonard Williams and Henry Anderson, you're simply going to have the better matchups. And I don't think Ja'Kai Polite did anything to struggle on the field this year. It was all off of it, and he gained a lot of weight. He got some bad advice, gained a lot of weight during this process, and now he's slimming down. He already looks lighter. He's going to play at about 240, 245 pounds and just be asked to get up to the quarterback. So you're talking about a third-round pick as a pass rusher. 
I would not be shocked if there's a day where this guy turns into a double-digit sack kind of player. Yeah, I think it could happen very early on in his career. And because I don't think his off-field issues are like real off-field issues. I think it was the draft process issues that hurt him. It, it, you know, it wasn't any trouble that he got in at Florida or anything like that. It was just the combine is a lot to take. And this whole process can be very wearing on a player. And I think it was for him. I'm going to go fit again with the Indianapolis Colts. I'm going Ben Bonagu because they needed somebody that can get after the quarterback. And that's about all he does. I know that he gets lost in the run game a lot. I don't think the Colts are going to ask him to do that. I think he's going to come off the edge, and he's going to attack after the quarterback. He might be stuck behind Justin Houston for a couple games, but I also think Justin Houston is a guy who struggled to stay on the field, and now they have a good young edge rusher in Ben Bonagu, who they drafted in the second round. I don't know how much of a complete player he's going to be, but I bet that he can develop into, like you said with Ja'Kai Polite, a double-digit sack guy. Maybe not giving you a whole lot of run support, but you have two pretty damn good linebackers that can do that for you. So just let Ben Bonagou get after the quarterback. That's all you need him to do, and that's what he does best. On the inside, going over here with the Los Angeles Rams, getting Greg Gaines all the way in the fourth round, pretty late, 134th overall pick. So Greg Gaines... He's your classic interior, you know, run-stuffing kind of guy. I think he's, you know, he plays with a lot of energy where I've seen him get after the quarterback before, but they needed to replenish this front seven, get, you know, more depth at this front seven. And you look at Gaines, he's somebody that has a ton of playing experience for Washington, was a productive player on the inside there. I love the value here. I think if you can get someone that's at least a two-down starter, at least a two-down starter, all the way that late in the draft, I think it's, it's something that's made the Rams just succeed over these years. We saw them get Taylor Rapp really late. We saw them get you know insurance behind Todd Gurley and Henderson in this draft. And Gaines is somebody where maybe they get Nadamik and Subak. I'm not counting on that at all. And I like that they're not having to worry about it that much now. Yeah, and anytime you can play next to Aaron Donald, I think it helps out with your career. No matter, it's like my guy Nikhil Harry going to the Patriots. Like, that's just going to help you. Playing next to him is going to help you. And I'm going with a kind of a shocker here defensive lineman. He was drafted in the first round. Jerry Tillery going to the Chargers at number 28 overall. In a normal year, he doesn't slide to 28. And I know a lot of people probably said that's a reach for the Chargers. I just think that this defensive line class was so special that we saw a guy like six foot seven, two hundred ninety eight pound Jerry Tillery go at the end of the first round. But he's going to come in and he's going to play very well at a position that the Chargers really need. And oh yeah, by the way, he has two great edge rushers on the side of him, so you can't worry about him in the interior. You can't double team him that much because you have to worry about Ingram and Bosa. So he's going to be able to come in and stay pretty clean on that defensive line while also trying to attack the quarterback and provide help in the run game because they just got killed last year. We've talked about it, seems like, a hundred times. If they could stop the run, they might have been a Super Bowl contender, and now they get big Jerry Tillery. I think he's going to outplay you know, that number 28 pick overall. And what makes him special is that he can really get after the quarterback, too, which is exciting with that length. So I think you look at all the different roles he can play on the defensive line, he, he could form into a star. Over at linebacker, this one was possibly the easiest one my guy David Long Jr. somehow slid way down the board in this draft and Tennessee gets the last laugh because they scooped this guy up it's just crazy to me when you look at his fall this year 
I saw a really productive player at West Virginia that you know knew how to find the ball, knew how to get through and around blocks, and he somehow goes in the sixth round. I understand he's undersized. He he kind of looks like a big safety playing in the front seven, but I think he can help out in coverage at a minimum. He's a sub-package player, a nickel backer in that defense. And I know Mike Vrabel, he likes to have some of these you know, big dudes up front, but they're going to give David Long Jr. the space he needs to run around and make plays. Yeah, and I really liked his game, too. Didn't really expect that slide. I'm going to go with another Colts guy, so please, listeners, don't attack me for being like a Colts homer here. I'm going Bobby <laughs> Okariki. Out of Stanford, they drafted him in the third round. I really liked his instincts at linebacker. He just he always found himself around the football. And I think that's what they had with Darius Leonard, too, is a guy that just comes in and he's constantly around the football. And I think that's what they have in Okariki, too. And he can come on the field. He can play with those other guys. Uh, he has that sideline-to-sideline side speed, a very underrated athletic linebacker who also has great instincts. I wouldn't be surprised if Leonard takes a lot more attention this year and it allows a guy like Okariki to come in and play and do you know clean up a lot of those, those tackles and get into the run game. I don't know how much he's going to do in coverage, but I think he's going to get a lot of tackles this year and he will outplay his third-round draft status. He's one of those players that's short and stout and just always seems to be around the football. And he might not wow you with athleticism, but he's got really good straight line speed. So in that Colts defense, I mean, they know how to set their guys up for success just as well as any team in the league. I'm excited to watch him play. At corner for me, New York Giants, you're back on my good side here. Julian Love, you get him all the way on day three. I think he could play in the slot. I know he played outside for Notre Dame. He's a great tackler, a high-character player that plays really hard. I think he was sticky in coverage. He just simply wasn't the most physically impressive guy, whether it was the lack of size, and he's not an elite athlete, but sometimes those guys get overlooked, and this seemed to be the case for me with him. I, I like this player a lot. And I think the Giants, they knew they needed help in that secondary. They needed to add some young talent. So they saw him sitting there all the way in the fourth round outside the top 100 picks. And I think he's going to be a starter for them right away. Yeah, I really liked him, too. He was one of my favorite corners in this class, and I think at times I'd even tied him into like the back end of, of round one. And we didn't see many many corners go round one, but I did like Julian Love and the way that he can play coming out of Notre Dame. The The corner I picked, I think, is a pretty obvious one because he, he was cornerback one for me. Greedy Williams falling to the second round because maybe he can't tackle or whatever other reason, I don't care. He is a good corner. He's a shutdown corner, I think. 6'2", almost 200 pounds, can run very well. I think the Browns got a steal in the second round, and we're going to be talking about Greedy Williams opposite Denzel Wardis, and you know, maybe in four years is one of the best tandem cornerback groups in the entire National Football League. Greedy Williams falling to round two. I think he's going to have a lot of production at corner two because he has the hands, and you're not going to throw at Denzel Ward every time. So maybe they mix it up. Greedy Williams is going to see a number two receiver, and I think that he's good enough, he's long enough, that he can take away a lot of passes. He's finally going to see some targets come his way. He It was really a quiet year for him, almost where he probably got bored at times. That front seven is going to force you to get the football out. They are that good and that loaded with talent across the board, whether it's the outside pass rushers, the interior defensive line. It's a really exciting group. And you look at someone who's going to see the ball come his way a lot because Denzel Ward is so good. They have some safeties now. 
it's going to be Greedy Williams. And I think that's why they were so smart to be aggressive on the second round and go up and get a player that really, really should have went in the first round. Speaking of another player that probably should have went in the first round and really slid down the board, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. This one was maybe the biggest stunner, just as stunning as Kelvin Harmon. I thought Chauncey Gardner-Johnson would go at the top of the second round. He ends up sliding all the way to day three, pick 105. That's just insane to me and then you already hear the reports how he's impressing in rookie minicamp the coaches really like him I think sometimes front offices just overthink a player he has great instincts and coverage he really really improved as a tackler this year he can play the nickel he can play deep safety I I love everything he could do and for the Saints like the Bears they didn't have a lot of picks but it seemed like they kept making the most of them Yeah, I agree with you, too. And I think we were both very high on Chauncey Gardner-Johnson because he can play so many different positions in your secondary. And I think maybe that was another reason why he slid is because he didn't have a true position. He wasn't an over-the-top safety. He wasn't just an in-the-box safety. He can also play nickel corner. So if he can come in and develop for a couple years, he's going to be a very good member of the secondary much like my guy, Taylor Rapp, who is, I'm, oh, I'm going to yes. take him. Another safety that slid out of the first round. I think if he would have ran a better 40 time, there's no chance in hell he gets out of the first round. He was my favorite safety in this whole class. So maybe I'm wrong, but as of right now on May 12th, I don't think I am. I really like Taylor Rapp's game. I think he's another do-it-all type safety. So maybe he doesn't have a position to play. But neither did Tyron Matthew when he was coming out. Everybody said he was an undersized safety, but he wasn't fast enough to play corner, and I think that's what these two guys that we're talking about right now with Chauncey Gardner-Johnson and Taylor Rapp, they fit into that same mold. Both are willing to come down and tackle. Both are above average in coverage. They can do everything in the secondary, and I think a lot of teams will regret letting these two guys slide out of the first round. Yeah, it's crazy when you see a productive three-year starter like Rapp slide that far. I understand there might have been some concerns about his hip and some concerns about that 40 time. But overall, it just feels like one of those players where he's going to come in, he's going to start right away, he's going to be a high IQ player that can take the ball away in the secondary. So the Rams, they get the last laugh there. I felt like the and I know we didn't have Patriots on this list, but it felt like the Rams and the Patriots in this draft kept taking those guys that other teams were afraid to, whether it was you look at Chase Winovich, maybe it was the size and the age, or Yadni Kajus, the injury history, or or being hurt right now. The Rams kept doing it, whether it was Taylor Rapp. And, and those teams, there's a reason. They'll probably be back in at least the conference championships this year. All right, we're going to take a break, and then we're going to get to your draft on draft questions. It is time, Draft on Draft. We are here to answer your questions, and we are going to do that all summer. We took a little break in April. We were a little backed up, but we got a lot of good ones here. Starting with our buddy Andrew Harbaugh, what is one show or movie you wish you could erase from your memory just so you can watch it again? I think the easy answer for me is The Office. Uh, but- I want you to say Shrek. <laughs> <laughs> that is a damn good movie, and it's underrated. Uh, but it, TV show would definitely be The Office, just because I, no show has made me laugh like that. And it, just reliving, watching the episodes, I wish I could erase my memory. I did see Andrew Harbaugh's answer, though, and he said Breaking Bad. And I think that one would be right up there, because the suspense on that one and not knowing what's going to happen from episode to episode, Breaking Bad was probably my second favorite TV show of all time, right behind The Office. I have a confession. I have never watched Breaking Bad. Oh, really? Oh, you've yeah. got to watch that, Connor. I'm you- just, I know <laughs> it's such a commitment, 
But yeah. I have to do it. I have to do it. And I don't even know, like, any spoilers or anything. I know nothing about the show besides the main plot. So I need to commit to it. I think show-wise for me would probably be The Sopranos or the first six seasons of Game of Thrones since they've decided to kind of ruin it here. <laughs> um, Movie-wise, man, that's a really tough one. That's a really tough one. I want to say draft day just so I can relive how horrible it was over again. Because the anticipation of like, oh my God, they're making a movie about the draft as Kevin Costner, who's great in sports movies. And then, no, it, it was absolutely terrible. So I'm yeah. kind of with you there. Just to relive the hype through it all. Exactly. Just to get really, really excited again and then completely let down. It's like being a Mets or Jets fan every year. So, all right, Mason Whitlock, this is a fun one. Start one, cut one, bench one. DeAndre Hopkins, Antonio Brown, Odell Beckham Jr. I like this game. Uh, So to start one, I'm going with Odell Beckham. I think that he is the most talented receiver in all of the NFL. I think Baker Mayfield's very lucky to have him on his team. So I'm going to start Odell Beckham, and I'm going to cut Antonio Brown. The difference for me came down to age and headache off of the field. And I know that maybe the Steelers did him wrong, whatever. But you don't have that kind of stuff happening with DeAndre Hopkins. And it was a toss-up for me who to start there. I love Hopkins' game. Uh, I just think that Odell Beckham, he's a little bit younger, and I think he's a little bit better. So I'm going to start Beckham, bench Hopkins, and I'm getting rid of A.B. Man, I'm with you on this all the way. And I can make the argument to start Hopkins. I think he's phenomenal. Phenomenal. And I, I think with Odell, you're always a little worried. You know, Hopefully he can just stay healthy consistently. But it feels like the no-brainer is to cut A.B., even though he's been the better receiver out of all three Yeah, of them. the most productive receiver is the one that we are agreeing to cut. I, I just think it's an age thing. It's an off-field thing. And I look at Odell, back to what you said. I mean, Odell has the potential here to go down as one of the greatest receivers of all time. And now you look at the situation he's in in Cleveland with Baker Mayfield, and you feel like that's elevated a little bit even more. So it's going to be exciting to watch Odell, and hopefully he could just stay on the field. I mean, it's unbelievable. He's only 26 years old. It feels like he's been around forever. I mean, four out of his five seasons, he's gone over 1,000 yards. That's just absolutely ridiculous. And he was playing with Eli Manning, which makes it even more ridiculous. So, And the other season, he he played four games. So, And he had over 300 yards. So Odell could really do some special things. And that's a fun question. You could play that with any position group pretty much. Yeah, I I really like that. I think we're going to have to steal Mason's idea here and and kind of roll with this one. Let's go on to our next question, though, from Chris Clausen. He wants to know, what is your worst sports memory? A lot of times we talk about our favorite one, but your worst sports memory. I have a pretty pretty easy one here for me. It was when Carlos Beltran struck out looking in the NLCS against the Cardinals to end the game. I mean, striking out looking to end the series. The Mets didn't make the World Series because he struck out looking. (laughs) And that was the same game, I believe, that Andy Chavez jumped like 95 feet in the air to rob a home run. So it was like everything was going right, and then at once everything went wrong. That's the one for me. I don't really have a lot of these bad sports memories. I mean, and I'm taking this question as not games that I've played in, just as sports fan memories. Right, like I've right. lost, I've lost championships before, but I don't think anyone really cares about that. Um, yeah, when you look at it, for me, like the Jets, those back-to-back AFC championship losses sucked, but it wasn't, it wasn't like shocking. Like it was more shocking they were in those games. 
But with the Mets, they were supposed to win the World Series that year. They were literally predicted to win the World Series that year and to lose like that absolutely so. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, the Royals game. I was at Game 7 when they lost that game, but they weren't supposed oh. to be there. So it really exactly. wasn't even like exactly. a heartbreaking loss. It was like, oh my God, I can't believe I just watched the Game 7 World Series in Kauffman Stadium. there's. I didn't think we would repeat and go back, but they did. So maybe that also washed away some of the bad taste in my mouth. The worst memory for me is when Michael Crabtree caught that ball for Texas Tech. It was Halloween. Oh. I was supposed to go out with friends for like my birthday Halloween event, and uh, it completely ruined my night. I almost uh, got dumped by my girlfriend that night because she's like, you just need to get your shit together and come out and have fun with everybody else. And I'm like, you don't even understand. Texas would be <laughs> in the national championship if it weren't for that fucking catch right now. I can't be happy. I can't put on a happy face. It's. I wish I could go back and redo that and just have them push him out of bounds at the one-yard line. That is by far my worst sports memory. I think that's pretty fair. And, and then I look back like, the Rangers losing a Stanley Cup sucked. The Rangers losing Game 7s, you know, before the Cup sucked. Those ones all are, are... I mean, I have tons. Like, I'm a Knicks, Mets, Jets, Rangers fan. I have so many bad sports memories that we could sit here and do an entire show on it. So... Yeah, there we go. And I'm sure you'll have some to come. Don't worry, Melo, now that you're a Chiefs fan. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Maybe not. Maybe I'll have mostly good ones, it seems that way. That offside penalty yeah. was pretty bad. So That was, <laughs> yeah, you know what it's like to lose heartbreakers to New England. Really fun. <laughs> yeah. um, Josh Engler, what's your favorite position to scout, and what's your favorite thing to do while scouting? Like drinking, <laughs> listening to music, or just fully zoned in and focusing? So my favorite position to scout is safeties. I really like watching safeties because you get a little bit of everything. They will drop back into coverage. Sometimes they'll play slot corner and play in the run game as well. So that's an exciting position for me that I like to watch. And I don't know if it makes me a monster or not. I can't do anything else while I scout, while I watch film. I've tried to do it before where I'll have the TV on or I'll have music on or something, and I can't do it. I have to end up muting the TV or I stop listening to the music. So I I can't do anything. I get some sunflower seeds, and I just sit there, and I watch the tape, and I make my notes. I can't do anything else. I listen to very consistent music. Like I can't listen to like hit songs. I listen to soundtracks. Like, there oh, was a yeah. point this year where I listened to the Red Dead Redemption 2 soundtrack while scouting for a week straight. Because it's <laughs> no all the shit. same. It's all the same for, like, 30 minutes straight. So yeah. you get so zoned in. But if there's words, I can't do it. I will just go movie, video game, uh, TV show soundtracks. I gotta try that. I've never it's tried am- that. It's amazing. Because it just you never actually pay attention to the music. Although it's so suspenseful. That if a player is playing really well, it's hilarious, and it probably creates biases <laughs> of you liking a player more. Yeah, this, position, depending on the soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. I like watching receivers and running backs because, obviously, they're you know closest to the ball. And I think you said something great on our last show where it's really hard to scout players away from the ball. So I think the ease of that is fun. I do like watching pass rushers. Uh, my favorite yep. football team has never had one, so it's fun <laughs> to watch other teams have one. 
I think that's pretty fun. What would be your your set? Are you like? Do you enjoy watching the quarterbacks, or is it kind of a, like a bore at this point? I do like watching the quarterbacks. Um, yeah, me just, too. There's so much to look for with them, and and they're easy to see. They're back there in a pocket by themselves most of the time, so it's easy to see arm angle and footwork and everything that you need to. Whereas, I mean, if you're watching an offensive lineman, it's very difficult to get good tape and break it down on offensive and defensive linemen, and so those would be like my two least favorite positions to scout but quarterback it, it's I don't know it is what it is it's very easy to scout it I think most people can do it while watching a game and there's nothing special about it yeah and sometimes quarterback like the thresholds are easy to eliminate guys like I still yep. can't believe and I'm happy for them and maybe they'll be used the right way I'm shocked Easton Stick and Trace McSorley got drafted I just yeah. thought they were undraftable based off arm strength threshold Right, yeah, right. and maybe they will overcome it. And I've said it before, I think arm strength is one thing that you can develop yes, in the NFL, agreed. and I don't think accuracy is. And so maybe they had enough accuracy that their teams are banking on we can develop some arm strength and they're going to grow into their bodies a little bit more. J.A. is asking us, what is the minimum Ja'Kai Polite has to do for the New York Jets this year for this pick to be viewed as a successful gamble? I'll hang up and listen. (laughs) Uh, For me, I would think that, I mean, it would not take very many sacks. Five, six sacks for that to be a good pick. I mean, they didn't draft him very high, so it's not like he has to come out and get 12 sacks for it to be like, oh, man, that was a good pick. And you look at what they have... I mean, the expectations are not set very high on the edge with this team. Jordan Jenkins had seven sacks last year, and I loved Jordan Jenkins at Georgia. Those were probably the most forgettable sacks I've ever (laughs) seen in a season. So if Ja'Kai comes in and has five to six as a rookie, not in his third year like Jenkins was as a rookie, you're probably seeing reps that you're like, okay, he could be a 10-sack player right away. So I, I... I think what you're looking for is just no problems and just get on the field, you know, hopefully 40 to 60% of the snaps this year, although I think he'll play more because of the team's need, and just cause hurries, disruptions, you know, force the ball out. If if you have a guy like that rushing wide and forcing the quarterback up into Quinnen and Leonard Williams, you would think things will go well for that pick. But we'll yeah. see. Yeah, I, really I would think see. so too. Okay, so Josh Harden, what's your early take on the best O-line in college football this year? Early take would be Notre Dame for me. I think they have a lot of good talent there with Kramer, with Eckenberg, I think is how you say their name. But they're two guys that I'm, they're already on my watch list. So they've played. Yeah, and they're high up there and just... You know, it's hard to overlook what they've produced on the offensive line over the last couple of years. So they're doing something right in Notre Dame. So you're definitely going to have to go back and watch this guard-tackle tandem that they have there for another year. I know Georgia will have some new starters, but I think the potential of them could be all-world. I really yeah. like this Georgia offensive line. Really do. They've recruited so well at that position. They obviously have some star power on that offensive line already. So you look at Alabama... They're a team that simply will always, always have talent at that position. But I almost feel like Alabama is a more well-coached unit than talented at times. And, yeah, and I you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, like Jonah Williams was a first-round pick, but once again, 
there's players on that line that are not going to be first, second, third round picks. It's it's a well coached group. Yeah, you'll get a guy who's like a two time All SEC first teamer, but then he's drafted in the fifth round. It's <laughs> so they get production out of those guys, but it doesn't always you know relate and transition to an NFL talent. I think you could say the same. Like Clemson has a very good offensive line coming back. They've got you know two guards and a center that could both be drafted this year, and, and the talent just keeps getting richer and richer for schools like Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, Notre Dame. So the traditional powers still have all of the power. Without a doubt. Our last draft on draft for the show from our buddy Pat Chamberlain. Give us one dark horse playoff team from both the AFC and NFC plus one dark horse college football team. Man, that's a tough one. Dark horse... I'm going to go with the Pac-12 teams that I was talking about last time. I think the team that comes out of there could be very good. I don't know if they're dark horse like for the playoff, though. It's very hard to get into the college football playoff if you're not already one of the top teams. But Utah and Oregon are, are going to be battling it out, I think, for the Pac-12. Maybe if the other conferences beat, the, beat each other up enough, uh, I think somebody from the SEC is going to get in. No doubt about that. Clemson's going to get in from the ACC. So there's two spots already. I think Oklahoma's going to get in from the Big 12. So you have to hope that the Big 10, that they just beat each other up and that it's not Ohio State. And then maybe you could look at one of those Pac-12 teams going in. As far as AFC, NFC, that's that's a tough one. I I want to say the Cowboys. I actually I think they could be pretty good if they get everybody on the field and they can stay healthy. That's a very good team, especially with Cooper coming back at receiver, a full offseason in that offense to work with Dak and then getting Zeke back. They obviously have a very good offensive line and they address some needs. And AFC, I, I don't know. I'll have to think about that one. It's tough. With the college one, I'll stick at the Pac-12 with you. I'll say Washington just because we don't know how good Jacob Eason could be, and the team is always well coached. The team is always very good. Looking at the NFL, if we're going like super dark horse here, I'll take the Raiders in the AFC because John Gruden's been there before, and I think they've added enough star pieces and starting level pieces to compete. Now, they're not going to be better than the Chiefs, and being in that division, I mean, they might be the worst team in the division again. That division can go <laughs> so many different ways. Yeah. But, you know, Broncos have some quarterback questions. The Chargers are really, really good, but they've been injury. They've been bitten by the injury bug before. So I look at the NFC, I'll still stick with the Washington Redskins. Now, that's another super dark horse, but this team was in the driver's seat before their quarterback got hurt last year. If Haskins can come in, and we've seen Case Keenum lead playoff runs before, I think this goes back to something you keep saying. People have forgotten about Darius Geis. That's the biggest thing for me with them. Yeah, I mean, a guy that might have been up there for running back one in this draft class, at least I would say probably top three or top four guys, and they're going to get him back. And I mean, it's not 1982 anymore, ACL injuries. You <laughs> yeah, can bounce back. back from that just fine, even at the running back position. I would say another team uh, to watch, I don't know if you can call them a dark horse, but I think the Cleveland Browns will definitely be in the playoffs. But I, I just don't know if you can really consider that a dark horse. It, would it be a disappointment if they aren't? At this point, because to me it would be. Gosh, I really think it is. If they don't go like eight and eight to ten and six somewhere in there, then I think that is a disappointment. Just based off what you've done this off season and getting Baker Mayfield in his second year, I mean, he was almost rookie of the year. Would 
played exceptionally well there. I think if you're not in the playoffs with a down division, you should probably be disappointed as a Cleveland Brown fan. Like you should set the expectation for the playoffs. I know it's been a long time since they've had to do that, but <laughs> I think now is the year that you set that expectation as we need to be in the playoffs this year. I'm with you all the way. That is our show. Mello, do you have anything for the fine people before we sign off? We did need to give a shout out to a Stick to Football Hall of Fame member's wife, Hannah Whitlock. Uh, It is her 23rd birthday. We had some technical difficulties with our last show. We had to cut some pieces, but I wanted to make sure we give her a good shout out for your 23rd birthday. So happy birthday to you, Hannah. Love it. Absolutely love it. Unfortunately, guys, This is the last Matless show for a while, so (laughs) I'm just kidding. He will be back with me on the Wednesday show, and then the gang will be together once again for the Friday show because me and Mello are here for the people. We are not taking vacations. We are holding this bad boy down. No days off here, man. Yeah, no days off. That's the motto. Keep sending those draft on drafts. If we didn't get to yours, don't worry. We save them all, so we'll probably get to it on the Wednesday show or the Friday show. Keep leaving those iTunes reviews. I would like to know your guys, rookies that you think will outperform their draft stock, draft position as well. So once again, thanks so much, guys. We'll catch you later. 